1: I am Stu Palmer from Stu's Wrestling Podcast, and I just want to thank Chris Lappin of Broken But Glorious BBG for the invite. He hasn't got an episode this month, so he has approached me to come and show some clips, some stuff from the vault I've decided to do. Rather than doing just one episode from the vault, I'm going to do clips. And yeah, I've had some great guests over the last three or so years, but here is the first clip coming up right now. We crack open the vault and we go back to the summit of 2020 to episode 50, the landmark 50th episode. And it was with none other than Hollywood from GLOW, Miss Jeannie Bessone. And it was just great to talk to her about her career and GLOW and how much of an effect GLOW had on women's wrestling in the 80s. In this clip, she talks about Tina Ferrari, a.k.a. Ivory, who is now a WWE Hall of Famer. So, yeah. Let's crack open the vault and begin this special episode for Broken But Glorious, a showcase. It is the vault of Stu's Wrestling Podcast and we're opening it with Hollywood from GLOW, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Did you have creative ideas for the character or were you told did- how the character would be? So, first of all,
2: uh, before the girls were chosen... They said, These are the characters that we have in mind for you girls to play. They were different sorts. And uh, Hollywood and Vine, those characters appealed to me, as did Tina and Ashley. I'm like, Those are characters that I could relate to. So when they said, Jeannie, you're going to be Hollywood, I was like, Yes. Oh, this is exciting. So from there, they said to me, Okay. I go, Well, what is Hollywood? Well, she's a, she's a bad girl. All right? So that's easy. She doesn't follow directions or rules, breaks rules. Um, and they said that we were these street punks. I'm like, God, I go, what? A street punk? This is, this is interesting. Uh, let's see how that works.
1: You touched upon, you said about Tina Ferrari, and we obviously know her very well as um, Ivory, in her stem. Correct. Now I know Stone Cold, Gives a lot of praise to Tina Ferrari when he does the podcast. He was a big, big fan. So I love how was it. it? How was it working with Tina? That, Tina Ferrari, as as we would call her from Glow.
2: She was a star from the get go. Um, she had it together. Her and Ashley were cheerleaders, and they were dancers, and they had been in front of a live audience and a crowd. So they were way five steps, ten steps ahead of me. I'd never been on TV, I never acted, I just, I didn't do perform in front of a live audience. So right away, I would say both, both of those girls had star quality immediately, and uh, she was just really well, well all around in the ring. And she deserved to be champion, and she deserved to be in the Hall of Fame, you know, and move on. So very proud of her.
1: I remember being at um, WrestleMania Fan Access, and, uh, she was busy. She was walking. I wanted to say hello, like that. I let her. She was busy. Yeah. Um. She was obviously doing a signing, but she was. Uh, she just seems such a nice, nice woman, lady. Absolutely. So that that's cool. Great, great, wonderful girl. Which which of the girls on the roster did you enjoy working with?
2: I enjoyed back in the day. All of the ladies, um, the best matches that I had though were with the farmers' daughters. Oh my gosh, the heat with us was just crazy because the first farmer's daughter, Sally, went to the same high school as me. So when you are, you know, wrestling against someone that you went to school with, and you want to win and she wants to win, it was heated every time. I mean, you got the best matches. They'd say, "Holly, will you wrestling Sally?" I go again they were just the best matches that's why even though we didn't get along very well that made for even more successful yeah. Yeah. matches yeah i liked her uh everybody w- was wonderful fiji you knew you were never going to beat a 350 pound woman ever uh americana what a sweet woman really really nice i'm so glad that i didn't have to wrestle any of the heels because if i had to wrestle spanish red oh Boy, the heat, there would have been some heat there too. She, she was fiery, great worker for sure. Godiva um, and I, we could, you know, we were both bad guys. But I really, my favorite seasons were season one and two, just because you know we all trained together, we all were learning together. And by the time season three came along, I, all ninety nine percent of the girls left, and we had all new characters for season three and four. So I had to. Um, you know, make friends with new girls who were just learning again. Um, I took a lot of, um, I didn't come in and have to work, you know, seven days a week at, thank goodness. So I would go back to California after the shows on Saturday night. So I'd had Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday night and Tuesday night in California. And then I'd fly back to Las Vegas and then get ready for the show for Saturday.
1: Fantastic insight. From Jeannie Bissone. I can't wait to get her back on. I will get her back on. She's been working the convention circuits. Post-pandemic, obviously, it's calmed down quite a lot. Conventions have been happening. So, yeah, I will get Jeannie back on. Hollywood from GLOW, that is for certain. And moving on, we're heading to a WWE Hall of Famer. And one half at the of Heat, it's Mr. Stevie Ray. This was from the summer of 2020 also. And this is clip number two of the vault of Stu's Wrestling Podcast. Here we go. Just to fast forward a little bit obviously i remember you guys fondly when i was a kid growing up in the uk and i remember you coming in to wcw how how was how was that getting getting called to obviously get to wcw how did you and booker find it initially i mean
3: you know professional wrestling is a natural progression professional wrestling is professional wrestling whether you're working in a little, little chicken coop or if you're working in front of 20,000 people, you know. So it was a natural progression. The only difference between uh, global and WCW is a little bit more uh, logistics, a little bit more politics, a little bit more. A lot of the stuff that goes with, you know, bigger business. The work in the ring is the same. The guys, you know, me and my brother would always look at guys like, okay, this is just another guy. Nobody impressed us we watched people on tv once we got good at our craft and we already said okay we can go in there and work with anybody and that's the thing about our mentality it was like, i don't care if it's the road wars i don't care if it's the steiner brothers we didn't care who it was man if you yeah. turn the turn the green light on we know what we can do so big time wrestling never overwhelmed us never did because we knew we were built for it. because that's i come from a competitive family I come from a family of athletes, you know. My mother was an athlete, you know. So, looking at things like that, I don't know. We was kind of, kind of unique in that way because we relished. We used to talk with him in our hotel room. We used to look at stuff. and go, man, if we get in the ring with them two guys, we're going to make them look like they're going backwards, you know. And we hadn't even got to the big time yet. We, this is like, we still in global, you know. So. Whether it's WWE, whether it was WCW, we didn't care because we always knew we was built for the. We always knew we was built for the big show.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: What it was like, other than all the other logistics, trend like a bigger show. You know, it's like going from a soap opera to a, a major uh, motion picture. But at the end of the day, you still got to act.
1: Was Sid was Sid heavily involved in you going over to WCW?
3: Oh yeah, he was. Uh, well, you know, he was kind of like a liaison between uh, MCW and uh, and and what we were doing at the time, and and Sid was a big part of uh, this angle that he was pretty much pushing at the time. So yes, in that regard, yes.
1: Just fast forwarding a bit again, how was it having Sherry Martell as part of the part of the team?
3: It was great. It was great. That was another one of our ideas. You know, it was great. You know, and we put that whole thing together. Like I uh, – so a lot of things with us didn't happen because of our own ideas. So Sherry, didn't, Sherry was like uh, something – well, they were trying to find, you know, different people to be with us. We didn't want anybody with us. We were getting ready to tell WCW we don't want to manage it. Uh, we knew we were getting, getting ready to get a push and we were going to take advantage of it uh, because we knew we had leverage now. That uh other organizations was looking at us and you know, it's like now we're gonna start to push the envelope from a business perspective now. And if it hadn't been for Sherry giving us the idea, we were gonna tell WC that we don't want to manage it. It just happened to work out that one day we saw her, and she was like, Hey, what if I would be your manager? And we looked at each other like, hey, that'd be a good idea. Let's take it to the office. And we took it to the office and that's what happened. So we asked like, how was it? So if it was our idea, it's
1: easy to figure out. Fantastic there from Stevie Ray. And the Harlem Heat still remain one of my favourite tag teams. Booker and Stevie were amazing ahead of their time. When you look back, they were ahead of their time for tag team wrestling. Just a fantastic insight there from Stevie Ray. Next, as we go deeper into the vault, it was the first two-part episode that I ever did for Stu's Wrestling Podcast. And it was with WWE producer. who produces a lot of women's matches. Obviously, we knew him in wrestling as Tyson Kid, but he goes by TJ Wilson, his real name now, produces a lot of the women's matches. But we went in to Canadian Stampede, as you're just about to hear, and his experiences with the Hart family on that weekend. It was just amazing in 1997. And then we talk about his tag team with Cesaro, which lasted six months after TJ lost his career to an injury, to his neck injury that he had. But yeah. I love TJ. I've got so much respect for him. Did meet him as well. I've met him a couple of times at conventions and over here when they've toured. But yeah, here we go. This is TJ Wilson, Mr. Tyson Kid of WWE. I'm gonna fast forward a bit into sure, 1997. Sure. 97. Obviously, Canadian oh. Stamp Canadian Stampede, I've got to ask about it because obviously yeah. at the time, us as fans, we didn't know about the family as such, did we? Especially the kids and stuff. How how was Canadian Stampede? The build up, the day, everything. How was it? Gives me goosebumps. Gives <laughs> me
4: goosebumps talking about Canadian Stampede, man. I can't watch that that match though. Feeling emotional. <clears throat> um, man, the energy in that arena was so nuts. It was so nuts. There was there were. Um, that was uh, Taka and the Great Sasuke have a match on that pay per view. Just kind of like with really no 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 like build or and like i remember seeing we were i was sitting front row with harry and um i remember seeing that match live and being blown away and being like wow like if this is the best thing on the show that's awesome and then of course the 10-man ted comes along and destroys everything on the entire show and the crowd was unbelievable I, for the entire match i don't know how long it is with entrances and everything it's maybe 40 something minutes or close to 50 or something i don't know but. Um, I'm sitting beside Harry and like, we can't really, we can't even speak to each other. It's so loud in that arena. And if you you go watch it back, you'll see the camera shaking a lot and you'll hear the announcers talking about, a lot of times it's, uh, the sound doesn't always come through on TV in terms of like the arenas. Like I've been in arenas that are rocking. You watch on TV and it's good, but not quite what it sounded like actually being there. And uh, I mean, that that night was one of the craziest, craziest things ever. And then the next, uh, that night we had, uh, there's a big barbecue at stew's after the pay-per-view and so like yeah i mean it was it was fun it was a fun fun time and the next day i drive up to raw in edmonton with um bruce hart drove but with uh davy boy and brian pillman uh, What an experience for us i i was about turned 17 but a 16 year old kid
1: i just um just just to go just to touch upon Bratton and austin at the time yeah that feud, man, that had more legs. That had more legs again, didn't it? I know they had a great Oh man. Matches. Imagine you
5: how much imagine?
1: This, imagine, could you how imagine? This movie that could have gone if Brett hadn't have uh, uh, gone to WCW.
4: Yeah, when I sit and when I sit in like fantasy book, could you imagine um if somehow corporate, you know, Mr. McMahon character came came about without without the screw job? And then imagine imagine like Brent siding with corporate Mr. McMahon against Steve Austin as, oh my God, it's unbelievable. Their matches and that, that everything they did uh, felt so real and felt very authentic. Can you imagine, uh, if, because think about their matches, the, the WrestleMania 13 match, which I think uh, is the perfect match. Uh, the Survivor Series 96 match. Brett, Brett and Steve's matches were never for never a for title, especially never for the world title. Can you oh, imagine you add that to it as well?
1: Just, oh, I still I still hold him. I'm not just blowing smoke because it's Brett, and obviously how well you know Brett. The, the matches, man, they're, they're still in the top. Front. I've got even, um, just to go back to 92, TJ, uh, yeah. Brett, Brett and Piper at WrestleMania, right? Classic. Yeah, yeah. Classic, yep. Oh, It doesn't, it's not yeah. There's not age. I don't know how you look at it. No. Performer. Yep. Same. Same thing. I think. Um,
4: I I know that some studying went down. Like uh, I've been watching a lot of Brett's matches recently, and like I just think. Can you imagine? Like, uh, yeah, man. Just yeah. It is. It, it's funny to me that like his prime at 40 years old, he was in his prime. Mm. That's crazy. And like he, and I think. I think Vince and I think WWF knew and Brett, they, they had such a, they, they knew each other so well that I think, you know, the, the WCW run never quite materialized to maybe what it could. Well, definitely didn't materialize to what it could or should have, unfortunately, but man, like if you just imagine like two years later, imagine like Brett versus Austin and imagine like what the rock ends up becoming and imagine Brett and the rock at that time
3: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
4: Awesome moments and matches I think which you know uh, you can say that about a lot of things but with with Brad it feels a bit more real
1: I guess. Uh, Just to go back you're saying about you coming together and it worked. Stars alive. Stars aligned for the pair of you like you know uh, I I loved it I I like the I like the little man, big man, you know, tandem, that's- Yeah, I, work, I think I work, best, I work best in that situation. Obviously you did it, you did it with, with Harry, so- Yeah. It's just what, it's what you know, but the pair of you, man, honestly, me and the guys, me and the big, big staunch wrestling fans who've gone to- Yeah. We've gone to WrestleMania many times, there's a lot of us. Everyone, I'm, I mean this now, that Tyson, Tyson and Cesaro, incredible. Everyone,
4: everyone. Man, that means a lot to me. It really does. Um, <clears throat> what I love about that is we literally teamed for six months exactly. We teamed from December first, two thousand fourteen, and then I got hurt uh, June first, twenty fifteen. We we teamed for six months to the day, and like people still talk about it, and it was five years ago. And so that means the world to me. I and mean, It really means the world to me because. My, like I said, I was riding that wave and I don't like I, I did an interview for uh, a friend back home and he asked me if I knew of any like long term creative that we were going to do down the road. I knew nothing. I just knew that like yeah. I was coming to work and I was really happy and it was really fun teaming with Cesaro and uh, he made my job so easy. Cesaro made my job so easy. I didn't have to be I didn't have to be the quarterback anymore. I could just kind of be the guy that you tell me the plays and I'll just go run them. And a lot of times in my career, I was being the quarterback and now I now I didn't have to be. And it was fun, man. It was just literally so much fun.
1: Keeping with the heart connection and obviously the British Bulldog, who we knew so well with the hearts as well, they were intertwined. And I got to speak to none other than Davey Boy, the British Bulldog. Davey Boy Smith's daughter, Georgia Smith, and this was from last year, and we got to talking about SummerSlam 92, which I was in attendance for, she was in attendance to see her dad with her brother Harry, obviously we know so well, and her mum, Diana, who was at ringside, you know, they made her a focal point for that, so yeah, let's get into it, SummerSlam 1992, as she talks about her experience there at Wembley Stadium with her dad, and obviously, Brett taking on one of it in one of the most iconic matches of all time in wrestling and WWF, WWE. What are some of your favorite matches of your dad?
6: I think I'll ask you that. Um, obviously, SummerSlam 1992. Just the atmosphere, the match. Sorry, my phone just keeps on. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Um, uh, just everything. Know the fact that it was in England. That was a big thing. Um, and just I was there live for it and I got to see it and you know it's it's never been done before never has been done again since then and i you know with the world that we're in i don't know if it will ever happen again unfortunately just with i don't know if we'll ever you know if they'll get to travel i mean i'm sure they will i'm sure things will get back to normal but you know it's just looking back now it's like wow like just crazy um so that uh, his match with Brett, I think it was an in, in your house. it was 1995. I believe I believe there was like blood involved, but I, I, I rewatched that match and just the athleticism and it, they just gave it their all and some people will say that match was better than um, SummerSlam and you know they I, I, I enjoy both of them and you know the Canadian Stampede, the Calgary Stampede in 1997. I was there live for that one of yep. the most loudest events I've ever been to. And, you know it was a celebration of you know you couldn't not have the, the heart foundation lose and being there it was like the last time my family was like together and we were a unit and you know things were really good so as a fan being there live it was amazing and as a family member watching it all and being there after that was really cool and i did enjoy a lot of the some stuff of my dad's in um wcw 1993 when he was like with sting he had some really good matches with William Regal. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking back now, you know, and I'm running his social media and watching. You know, I've had to, like, re-educate myself on all this stuff because I'm not, I'm not like, a massive – I mean, wrestling's in my blood. But, you know, besides my family, I I don't really, um, you know, I, I I just mainly watch my family and my dad's stuff. So I'm, I'm going back and watching his stuff and bits of history. And I saw a clip of him in Sting today, and I was like, they're really cool. They're really cool as a <laughs> team really cool and you know so some segments were a bit cheesy with the shock master and you know beach blast but you know um wherever my dad was my dad tried to make it do what he could with what he was given with and i feel like he he pretty much pretty much excelled every single time i know his last run unfortunately didn't work out but um yeah he
1: he was he was the man I did tell you in email when we spoke. I, I was at Somerset 92 too as well. I came down <laughs> on I came down on the bus from Wales and uh, I just remember when he came out with uh, Lennox Lewis with the Union Jack. That's such an iconic moment. I know the match itself was incredible. That's in my top top three personally. But it was all it was everything that went with it. It was you know your mum your mum at ringside obviously because because Brett you know Brett and Davey going against each other. It just had everything and. I say i say to younger people that haven't watched a lot of the older matches to go back and watch that match specifically
6: yeah and you point because like um you know looking back it was obviously a huge 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 event but now i believe it's more talked about than ever and it's become like a classic like a not a cult classic but like it's become more every year it's becoming more and more of a classic and more and more talked about and you know i've said this in podcasts before but i watched that match you know in 2002 with my dad you know 10 years after it happened and you know it's just crazy how you know we we, we watched it and enjoyed it but imagine watching it today with him how amazing that mm-hmm. would be and like you said it was just everything that went along with it with my mom and um just the whole story of it and the it was just it was it was believable and it was real and I think that's why people got behind it. And um, yeah, it was. Um, I wish. I wish we. I could go back as the age I am now and <laughs> watch it live then.
1: I think it's time to get a Hall of Fame old school guy on. It's none other than the Russian Nightmare Nikita Kolov, who's in the NWA Hall of Fame and the Lou Third Hall of Fame as well. Multi-time champion in the NWA. Great as a heel, he did so well as a heel. He was hated, but he did become a face more latterly in his run with the NWA, WCW. So yeah, without further ado, here is Hall of Fame inductee Legend of Wrestling. It is none other than the Russian Nightmare, Nikita Kolov. I need to ask, there was something in the water in Minnesota. Because how many guys, how many guys came through? I know it's been asked. I've got to ask it, you know, I want to get your perspective on that. It's just yeah. firing off firing off the names, you know, Kurt Hennig, Rick Rude, the Road Warriors, John Nord, a lot of people leave John Nord, about Barry Darso, so all them guys, I miss,
7: I'm missing a few there as well. Just Well, what's even more amazing, yeah, I, I joke and I say it was in the, it was the minerals in the water tower, uh, especially in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. Now, you know a lot of the guys. Yeah, uh, Tom Zink, uh, yeah. Mike uh, Mike Enos, Wayne Bloom, uh, Scott Norton. Uh, obviously Jesse Ventura. I mean, there were a lot. If you want to go way back, Vern Gagne. Yeah. Um, uh, being uh mean Gene Okerlund, even though he wasn't a wrestler. Yeah, even even more interesting, Stu is. Nine of us. Okay, nine of us all came from what is called Robbinsdale High School. Yeah. One high school. Now, a lot of those guys we named came from the Twin Cities, um, you know, outside of, you know, part of Minneapolis, St. Paul, but just from Robbinsdale High School, you named Kurt Henning, Rick Rude, Barry Darso, Tom Singh, Brady Boone, Nikita Kolov, John Nord, and several of us all played on... Uh, American football as we know it. I know know football is different over there in the U.K. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, But uh, seven of us from the same high school – well, I say nine technically because me and Gene Okerlund and Vern Gagne also were graduates of Robbinsdale High School now years prior, but they were still from Robbinsdale. So had to be the minerals in the water with all those lakes in Minnesota, Stu.
1: I just – We'll never see the likes of it again, either. You know, that roll call of people. It'll never... Right. It's, it's incredible to me, you know. It's just incredible.
7: Yeah, absolutely.
1: 100%. We go into the vault again, and this was nearly two years ago, but it does sadden me a little bit because we lost a great man in Del Wilkes. You'd know him fondly as the Patriot in wrestling in WWF. WCW, he worked all Japan many, many years ago. A great, great person. I was in touch with him after we did this episode, but we lost him. We lost him at a very young age last year, 59, 60 was Dell. A lovely, lovely man. And this is just a fantastic clip talking about his run in WWF, although brief in 1997, and taking on Bret Hart, who is still my favorite wrestler of all time. So here he is, the man, the legend, R.I.P dal wilkes the patriot here we go i'll segue into wwf 1997 how did that come about how were you contacted how did the wheels get set in motion to start your run there
8: well there were guys there that were working for vince uh uh you know in talent development talent relationships uh, in booking uh that i had good relationships from prior years uh one was jim Cornette. um jim's been a good friend and a good ally of mine uh, throughout my entire career uh and bruce pritchard bruce had come to global and worked in global for a little while and i got to know bruce through that and then of course through jr i'd become friends with jr uh you know throughout the years so uh vince uh you know was was getting hit from all sides by jr and and bruce and uh and, and cornet about the need to sit down and talk to me to bring me back up uh, and to see if we could work something out. So they reached out to me and uh, I flew up and met with Vince and we talked for several hours just like I did with Bischoff. And he asked me my opinion on on certain things and where I saw myself going and he laid out some of the ideas he had for me. And uh, so I walked away from there that day with the offer of a three-year deal. Now the one area, and I'm not gonna say we disagreed because it was a respectful uh, differing of opinions. Uh, Vince did not think that the WWE, or the W, it was still WWF, that the WWF fan base in 1997 in the late 90s would accept a masked wrestler and attach themselves to that character. He just thought the wrestling fans had become smarter than that, and. They just wouldn't buy into it, and my argument with him, or the points that I presented to him were, well Vince, everywhere I've worked, whether it was global, WCW, or the two times I've worked for Mr. Baba in all Japan, that character is very easily latched on to the fan base, and it's been a very popular character with the fan base, so I don't think your audience or the WWF audience would be any different. and. Uh, He just saw it differently, but the thing that he was, and and that's what makes Vince such a good businessman, the thing that he was willing to do was to see how it worked out and how it played out. And uh, so I was one of the few guys, if you think about the way Vince does business, I was one of the few guys that went in there with my own character, my own gimmick that had already been developed, that had been over in other companies and other places around the world where I worked, and was able to keep that character and that gimmick and Vince not have control over it or copyright over it. So uh, he said, well, he said, let's roll with it and we'll see how it goes. Well, he saw night after night and Monday night after Monday night, uh, the type of reaction I was getting when I walked through that curtain uh, and waving that flag and without fail, the fans would always uh, react well and, and just, it would be a big pop when I would come through so he saw that it was it was working so that's when he approached me about uh working with brett and brett had just turned baby face or he was in the midst of that he, he was in the midst of that turning from baby face to heel he was in the midst of that heel turn and uh, it just felt like a glove with what brett was wanting to do with his character uh to now put the boots to the american wrestling fan base and say negative things about them and negative things about america and then here comes the patriot in waving that red, white, and blue flag, and it was just a natural fit, and was just a, an angle and a, and a program that worked well, very well. And I
1: love Bret Hart, as I said, to you, yeah. off off camera, he's still my favorite. Met him
8: once. He's a pro, pro man. He is a pro's pro.
1: Met him once, Del. Couldn't string a sentence together when I met him. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't normally struggle. I don't. I've always got a lot to say, but I just couldn't because. I've idolized the guy from a kid, but yet the program of you, because it kind of—I wanted you to do well too. know, as a fan, I was—I got behind you, even though you're facing my guy. I, I bought in, I bought into it absolutely, hook line and sinker. So yeah, it was it was nice for us fans in the what, UK to see it.
8: I tell you what made it an an interesting thing is uh, I experienced something I had never experienced before. And uh, we were working, you know, all over America, night after night, Brett and I were working together, either main event or semi-main event. And then we were out on the West Coast. We had worked up through our way from uh, Southern California up to Northern California. and then we'd gone into Seattle and worked. Uh, and the night after we worked Seattle this particular night. And the next day we went up to uh, Portland, and then we took a ferry that took us up through the west coast of Canada. So one night we're working in the States, the very next night we're on the west coast of Canada, working our way across to the eastern side of Canada. And uh, immediately, overnight, within a 24 hour period of time, strictly due, to the geographic location of where we were at, I was instantly the heel in Canada, and Brett was the baby face. For 24 hours before, it had been the exact opposite. And it was an interesting dynamic to just over. Now, all of a sudden, the Patriot, this flag-waving patriotic American, is now the heel that's getting pulled out of the building, and Brett's the rock star that gets, you know, gets this huge pop. In this next
1: clip, I had former two-time Impact Knockouts Champion, the current Ring of Honor Women's Champion, and former A Women's Champion, none other than the Virtuosa, the Honor Perrazzo, I had her on, For an interview last year, as I've just said, and here we go. This is her talking about connecting with the audience, having good promos. It's just, it's very hard. I know it's very hard for talent sometimes. You can have all the assets in the ring, but when it comes down to promos, people do struggle. There's criticism as well, which I think is unfair, is unjust. The talents, it's a lot of pressure. It's hard to do, it's hard to do. I've seen it, you know, firsthand over many, many years. But here she is, the current Ring of Honor Women's Champion. It's the virtuosa, Diona parazo. How about like mic skills and stuff like that? Now, we hear a lot from old school people, oh, wrestling isn't what it is. I still love it. I've watched since 1990. Some people say people don't connect with the crowd. What are are your thoughts on that? Uh, People have got the arsenal in the ring, but some people think people are missing it in terms of promo skills. I I think wrestling's in a great place personally, but it's just what I've read and stuff. What do do you feel about mic skills and stuff like that and people saying they're lacking?
5: Yeah, that wasn't something that was... We like trained as much, right? Like, um, Damien is all about wrestling, and it's only been maybe the last two or three years that he's really pushed promo class and promo skills. Um, so I do think it's something that people are uncomfortable with, so they don't like to do. Um, and and me too. Like I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to. And public speaking wasn't my thing, and it hasn't been. Probably. you know, over the last two years is, is when I've really been able to, like, be comfortable talking on the mic and talking in the ring and, and getting to know who this character is and, and how to portray that outward. So um, I think that's a super important part of wrestling. And I think as social media grows, um, and as we do more interviews and more behind the scenes stuff, um you have to be comfortable talking. So, uh, I agree that it's probably the less trained aspect of wrestling, but it should be the most trained aspect of wrestling because you need to interact. you need to talk to people, you need to network and communicate. and if you can't do that effectively, people don't know who you are or you know um, are kind of like, oh, they're not they're not good at that. And that was something that I, Failed at. It was like, I wasn't a character for so many years. I didn't know how to speak or um, speak in a character. So it was really hard for me to get opportunities until I nailed that down.
1: I've been all over the world. I've, I've been to WrestleMania. I've been to events, fan perspective. How is it wrestling in front of fans? Are you going to have fans on uh, Sunday nights? So yeah, just how, how is that for you as a performer?
5: it's amazing it's it's um i think as performers we want immediate gratification and it's been hard because we don't have that so we're going to the back and there's no like you know winner's high or anything like that um because the fans aren't there to to give you their energy, and that's really what they do. They push us that much further when we're tired or we can't breathe or we're in pain. Like to hear that that you know chanting or the claps or things like that really push us to to get back up again. Um, and, and you know that's cliche and maybe it's like you know kayfabe or whatever, but it's the truth. When when you're down and out and you have someone yelling, "Diana, Diana, Diana, get up, get up!" It's like I got to do it for them, right? So um, to finally have that back is going to be everything we've been missing and everything we need um so i i honestly cannot wait
1: Absolutely brilliant. brilliant now what are your thoughts on the uk scene now i hold uk wrestling on the on pedestal i might be you know partial <laughs> there i, I... <laughs> I think, I don't think there's any fans in the world like the, like the British fans, but yeah, your, your thoughts on the UK scene, because we've got schools everywhere, it, yeah. it,
2: blew,
1: it blew up in the last eight or nine years over here, the independents, but yeah, your yeah. thoughts on the UK scene, I'd love to hear that, what you think. It
5: was always my goal to come and wrestle at the, in the UK, because you know, you say, you know, in the last eight to ten years, it's blown up, and that's Mm -hmm. when I've been wrestling, so, um, when I was able to finally come over and wrestle was, like, a bucket list, I can check this off, because I did it, and the fans are are right there with you when I talk about, like, being your lifeline to keep going, and, and, you know, whether it's the bad guy or the good guy, they come up with the most creative chants I've ever heard, um, they want to be a part of the show as much as we are a part of the show, so um, I've had some of the most fun wrestling in the UK, I Uh, for a long time that was like my second home i was there so much i have best friends who live there so um i'm also excited for the day that we can bring impact wrestling back to the uk because Mm -hmm. i think it's a whole other ball game when we go over there and the fans um not that they're better than american fans but it's uh you know i'm not gonna be impartial um but it, it just brings a whole other element to wrestling when you're there and um those fans are chanting some crazy things at you
1: where were some of your favorite places in the UK? I bet you got to do some touristy stuff in your, in your yeah, you know, a little spare bit. time. Yeah, some some experiences over here that uh, you've enjoyed.
5: Yeah, I mean, I like love the food. Um, halloumi is my favorite thing yeah. ever. <laughs> uh, and I had never had it until I came over and then it was like every day, like, can we go to Tesco and get halloumi? Because we ran out, like I ate it all. Um, You know, I've obviously gotten to do like London and see, you know, Big Ben and Buckingham Palace and things like that. Um, But really, yeah, it was just for me, like I I lived there, you know, two or three weeks at a time I would go um, and I didn't get to wrestle as much during that time. But, um, you know, it was just fun to like embrace a different culture. It's very different than America. Um, And, you know, I I fell in love with it.
1: Who would be a dream opponent for the Virtuosa from the past, from the past now? somebody maybe, you know, someone who's inactive now, and I know there's so many, but yeah, I, I thought like, yeah, I'll ask you that. I'll just come off the top of my head, but.
5: Um, my, my answer is always Trish Stratus. Um, mm-hmm. You know, she came back SummerSlam a couple years ago. She says she's retired again. Um, but if she was to ever come back, I'd love, love, love that, because that's the woman who, who made me want to be a wrestler. I loved to love her and I loved to hate her. Um, and Trish Stratus was just it for me.
1: I've got to showcase some British talent as well. Broken but glorious, Chris Lappin. Obviously UK based from England. So yeah, here we are Chris. Here is a man who's been in the business for 26 years. Incredible. Set the bar high. Was so well regarded in the UK. And went on to America and all over the world to wrestle. And can still go today. It's amazing. It is the Phoenix Jodie Fleisch, One of my favourites. One of my favourites. Absolutely. And here we go. This is him talking about first getting into America many, many years ago. And just amazing. Here he is, the Phoenix, Jodie some Matches now that stood out for me. Like, and it was with yourself and Johnny Storm having these incredible matches. How, how was it? And how, how was it getting the, the fan reaction that you got when you're having those matches with Johnny? I don't want to <laughs> give you the same answer to every question,
9: but it was loads of fun. Um, You know, uh, we were working for different types of crowds on different types of shows in different settings. You know, I mean, you couldn't really ask for much more at the time. We were having, we got our little reputations building and all of that. We were getting around and we ended up doing, you know, we've ended up working. Well, I don't think there's many places we haven't worked together since, you know? And I guess it's, 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 yeah, looking at it, it's lasted, hasn't it? Because we're still bloody doing it. So, um, yeah, it was, it was lots of fun. Learning curve, all of that.
1: I, I just loved I loved it, right? We had the British stuff with, obviously, the wrestling channel. And then, obviously, when you guys went over to the States for CZW and all that, man. And we, and we could see those matches as well. It wasn't just the UK matches. I just loved yeah. hearing the American crowd reaction when you guys went in there and just did your, did your stuff. Like got Me your too. Stuff Me too. Yeah, I was laughing at up. Loved it. What were the trips like to America back then? Uh, well, actually with Johnny, there was only one for me. Cause we'd done that first tour.
9: And then after that, I ended up, I kept going back and forth working. Was it pretty much only for ring of honor? Whereas he was working for a, a company that was called WXW. Am I right about that? Did I get the initials right? Maybe I didn't. But uh, he was working for a group out in Los Angeles. So we, we'd done that first tour together. But then after that, we were each going sort of separately. But um, yeah, it was all, again, it was, it was all good times. Um, loads, of, uh, loads of experiences, loads of road stories, loads of uh, fun shows, you know? Loads of new mates, good times.
1: Can you remember any of the road stories? Have you got anything you can remember from the States? You <laughs> know what, <laughs> several just popped right into my head. I don't know what, it must have been just,
9: it must have been floating around there somewhere. And when you asked me, a certain, like a handful of stories popped into my head, but they all involved a guy called Trent Acid, who was a really, really good guy, Yeah, but he's died now. And they're really not wholesome. So I'm really sorry, but I can't share them publicly. It's all right. It's just cause they were the first ones that popped into my head, you know, but, um i can just say that they're they're fun ones
1: and let's stick with the british heritage the british scene a man who broke through in 2003 started wrestling has become a fantastic superstar worldwide it's none other than mark haskins and this is him talking about breaking into the business and being on cards very early on very early on in his career with aj styles to name but a few so yeah let's keep the british Showing the Britishness of the episode of this, the clips from the vault, and it is Mr. Mark Haskins. I think maybe talk about now about the British scene, how it how it's changed over the years, because it was totally different. I know it's cliche, people say about it. I look at it from a fan perspective. You might look at it totally different being a wrestler, being a worker. How how has it changed from when you first got into to where it is now the UK scene?
0: So when I started out, it was uh so i did so i started training in 2003 i was a fan of british wrestling for probably about a year before that 18 months um and the first show that i went to um was an all-star wrestling show at the wyvern theater in swindon right and then uh the next show i went to after that was uh what was it called um revival at uh at yep. crystal palace right yep. the tommy floyd promotions so um it was yeah it was ushering in this it already felt like it was ushering in this new era because I became a fan of the fwa of, you know started to watch their product and see guys like uh you know jody fleisch johnny storm doug williams um i was a huge fan of those guys and i loved going to the shows and um you know, seeing them and they were bringing in guys from abroad who, you know, being a, uh, you know, a hardcore wrestling fan at that time, like I was, you know, I knew about places like Ring of Honor, places like, you know, um, TNA that weren't as big as what they ended up becoming. And it was great seeing guys like AJ Styles come in or Jerry Lynn or, you know, um, Christopher Daniels, all these talents that had big names going on elsewhere. And then they came over to the UK and, um i did a year of refereeing through 2005 and then my first year of actual wrestling was from 2006 onwards so this was kind of the era of around when 1pw was bringing in crowds so 1p you know 1pw suddenly within the space of like a month like i ended up in this really bizarre opportunity where um i joined a group of wrestlers called the chavs pretty self-explanatory right (laughs) and um On the first night that i was a part of the group the one of the main guys who had these opportunities lined up for 1pw and that ended up being injured so i literally walked into this spot where it was like okay we need somebody to fill this spot it's gonna be you so i think like my third match was for 1pw in front of like two thousand people then like my fourth match was in like a steel cage match or something like that for uh yeah the fwa and then it was just yeah it was it was bizarre I literally went from like nothing to then like everything in such a short space of time and it was one of these things where you just have to think on your feet and just try and adapt to the situation as you know and learn as you go and you know that you'll never feel ready for any situation that you're ever faced with do you know what I mean like but it's up to you like acknowledging that is kind of almost a step ahead because you know at least well hey I'm going to you know do the best that I can and you know Having that acknowledgement also helps you adapt and prepare for it. Do you know what I'm saying? Or at least it did in my case. And um
3: This episode
10: is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, And Ed O'Neill, FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu.
0: I just, I wanted to do the best I could. So suddenly I end up in dressing rooms with guys like AJ Styles, Jerry Lynn, and that. And like, yeah, the guys who had literally been going to shows to watch a few years ago were suddenly like, you know, across the dressing room from me. So I was around guys like Samoa Joe, um, you know, AJ, Daniels. Um, Kazarian and that, and it, it was this sudden reality check of like, oh damn, like this is you know, my reality has changed quickly. You know what I mean? So um it it was great. Our next stop
1: on the Stews Wrestling Podcast Vault Clips episode, a special episode for BBG. Mr. Chris Lappin, thank you for this invite. And this will be this will go down actually as one of the most wild episodes. Now I'm a bit crazy myself, but I had none of it than Dwayne Gill, Mr. Gilbert on the show. And my word, it was wild from start to finish. What a man this guy is. And this is him developing the Gilbert character and running some matches with the late, great Luna Vachon. And fantastic, great stories, amazing. I love Dwayne, he's amazing. What a guy, so here we go.
11: I was doing the under faker and then I did Gilbert <laughs> and how Gilbert became a WWF thing was I was, I was Dwayne Gill light heavyweight champion on a job squad yep. and we were doing house shows and I was in the back talking to uh, Percy and Kane, you know, Paul Bear and Kane. Yeah, Absolutely. And I was telling them all that. And I said, yeah, and I did Gilbert and Paul Bear looked at me and goes, Oh, Dwayne Gill, I think you've got something there boy. And, I just laughed and didn't worry about it, right? But the next day was TVs, and we were in the in in uh, catering, and everybody starts going, Gilbert. Because <laughs> he, he got everybody together. So I, I threw the tray down, jumped up, ah, 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 and everybody started laughing, and that was it. I went home two days later, get a phone call from the office. Dwayne, yeah? What's this Gilbert thing you do? Oh, I just make fun of Goat. Well, bring everything you got. You're now Gilbert. We're going to do that Monday. I said, okay, you got it. So I brought everything and I was supposed to wrestle Edge. And I said, are we making fun of the guy? And they're like, yeah. I said, well, Edge is a big star. I'm a jobber that just became a star. He can beat me no matter what. Everybody knows that. Give me Luna. Because Luna was a good friend of mine. And Luna's going, Dwayne, Dwayne, this is raw. No, 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 no. This is raw. This is, no, 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 no. And I'm going, Luna, if you want to be for real, you could probably kick my ass for real.
1: <laughs> if you go Luna
11: Vachon, I would
1: <laughs> She was hard as nails, that lady.
11: Oh, my God. nails. But as nails. Is soft as... Is, is yeah, sweet. yeah. She was so sweet. If people who knew her wouldn't believe that was the same person, you know what I mean? And, uh... I said, come on, Luna, we're going to make fun of the guy. Come on, come on. And she goes, all right. And so if you remember in the match, right in the middle of the match, we ran into each other in the middle of the ring, and she went, I'm lost. And I went, ball shot, because I couldn't think of nothing else. And she went down, pal, gave me a ball shot, and I grabbed her arm with my leg. And I went, oh, as loud as I could. And I'm looking her right in the face. She's going, let go of my arm, you son of a bitch. I swear I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. Cause I was holding her arm, you know what I mean. <laughs> and then I fell over, boom! With her arm in between my legs. I, was like, I swear I'm gonna kill you. We get in the locker room. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> so, it was so funny. But when we came back after that match, yeah, I walked through the curtain. Every McMahon, every wrestler, every production, everybody that had anything to do with backstage was back there standing there all the women their makeup was running down their face they're all laughing and clapping and and it was the greatest honor i ever got in wrestling even over winning the title oh that yeah the biggest honor all of my peers people that i've looked up to for years were clapping and cheering me that i it doesn't
1: get no better brother this next clip from the vault was just amazing. It was amazing getting this guy on. It is the former NWA World Heavyweight Champion. The 10 pounds of gold. He carried it so well, so majestically, and had a great feud with Nick Oldis. And he is the eldest NWA world's champion. He was 51 at the time when he got the gold. But he had a 400-plus day run with the title. It's none other than Tim Storm. And it was a privilege, an absolute privilege to get such a nice, nice man on the show. He is beloved within the industry, down to earth, amazing. Here he is, the former NWA world heavyweight champion, Mr. Tim Storm. Tim, I'm a huge fan of your wrestling but I gravitated most. We touched upon this pre-recording. Um, I, I was, I, I liked your heartfelt promos on End Power. I, I need to read this out. Uh, the realism you evoke is something young guys in the business could learn a lot from. What promo advice would you give these guys?
10: Uh, you know, one of the things that I've, I've been fortunate to do
2: <clears throat>
10: is with James Beard, we've, we've been doing some clinics teaching. And I talk about, you know, I think because I'm a natural communicator, I have an advantage. Some people just aren't, you know, it's not natural for them to, to stand up in front of people, but I've been doing that my whole life. Here would be my advice, <clears throat> and I'm passing on advice that's not mine, right? Um, you have to find something that means something to you. It, it's like if, and I know that's probably part of the problems that we see in wrestling today is if you're handed a script and, and said, go out there and say this, what you're saying is not you. Right. I mean, you're, you're saying somebody else's words and somebody else's, you may not have a feeling for Dusty Rhodes makes the comment. And, and one of the things that, he, that we talked about it, and, and I've I've been blessed to be able to spend time with, with some of the great promo guys in the business. Jake Roberts it, it took me under his wing. I mean, I, and no matter what you think about Jake as a person, the man was talented and one of the great, the greatest psychologists in the business. Incredible. But Dusty, Dusty Rhodes says, <clears throat> don't practice your promos. He goes, because if you practice them, they become, a rehearsed, they're not emotional. You lose all the emotion in it. So, you know, for me, and I'll, I'll say it again, nobody was more surprised that people love my promos. Nobody's more surprised than I was because I'm not out there putting on a show, right? I'm, I'm out there speaking from my heart. Um, you gotta believe what you're saying. You know, you if you don't, nobody's gonna believe it either. So I just, I spent a lot of time in my head in what, you know, what, what Mick Foley would call promo land you know, where, where I'm having, you know, this is what's important to me. This is the message I wanna say. How am I gonna say it? I don't know, let's see how it comes out. And a lot of times I'm standing at the curtain, go you know, about to walk out to to the podium or whatever, and I'm literally going, hmm, wonder what I'm gonna say this time, right? <laughs> um, the big relief for me, prior to episode one of NWA Power, um, I had a conversation on the phone with Dave Lagata, you know, mm-hmm. You know, I had been told, I knew my match was against, was against Nick, you know, that was not a surprise. But he goes, I want to give you like 60 or 90 seconds at, at the podium, at ringside. You just, you start thinking about what you want to say. And I said, okay. And I had some things I wanted to say. You know, I, I wanted people to understand how important it was to me, uh, the opportunity. And and my concern was legitimate. I was feeling, I don't feel stressed to go out there and do that. You know, it's at NWA, at they don't say say this they say sink or swim here's your time you go out there and if you're you know you either make it or you don't and so my stress was none of that my stress was i've only got 60 seconds how am i going to get this message i mean i've got so much things in my heart that i want to how am i going to get that out so i'm standing at the curtain about to walk through remember no music no nothing right that's that's right that's, that's nwa power that's old school And I'm, I'm thinking, what do I take out that I want to say? And Billy Corgan uh, walks up at gorilla and he goes, Hey Tim, don't worry about the time you go out. We believe in you, do what you want to do. You know, if if something goes wrong, we can always edit it. Just go say what you want to say. And then what the results are, you know, is, is fortunately people like what I had to say. and, Mm -hmm. And I just believe if you stand up and speak from your heart and if you're, you know, uh, and in wrestling, you know, that's that's a challenge, right? I mean, depending on your role, if I if I had to go out there and say I hate the world or I hate Nick or whatever, that's a whole lot more difficult to say than uh, you know, than than the truth. So it's you got to believe in what you're saying. And that's easy when when they say go out and say what you want. I can tell them, I can say what I believe. That's easy.
1: We're not having to go too far on the final clip. From the vault and it is episode 108 which I dropped in March and it's none other than 80s female wrestler Mad Maxine. It was an honour to get this lady on. She did the business on her terms. She got out, she wasn't happy but she did have a good career especially independently around the Florida area. But yeah, I've got a lot of respect for Mad Maxine. Unbelievable. This was set up by author, writer Javier Ost who writes for Pro Wrestling Stories. So to be recommended by somebody to interview someone from wrestling was amazing. So I thank you Yavia, but here we are. It's Mad Maxine explaining, getting out the business in the eighties. But women's wrestling was always there. It's just, yeah. you know, the profile of it, you know, I feel, I feel for you guys in the time when
12: you were doing it, you know, because you guys are putting it all on the line, just the same as them. right? And you know, I mean, it, I don't know if it's true now, but um, uh, somebody described to me as like, you know, that, that women were always always thought of as like a gimmick, like um, midget wrestling or, you know, jello wrestling or, you know, anything with like a, a gimmick. It wasn't really considered, you know, the real deal. And you know, that's pretty insulting, you know, considering as you say, you know, I I'm in touch with the women of my era, and you know, they're they're many of them are paying the price for you know having you know taken so many bumps and so many you know falls and it's really hard on your body i mean it you know your your body is it it just you know just wears your body out and uh not everybody but you know i i was i felt kind of grateful to have gotten out i mean i did it it was it was you know i had the experience for a couple of years and uh and got out before i got seriously injured and i was like you know
1: whew. did you worry about the girls that were still in the business and in the situations they were in when you left um
12: you know i was uh, i i didn't actually i wasn't thinking about them i was thinking about escaping because um, my last, um, I had that experience in Houston um, where everything got stolen from me. And then the very last match that I had was in at the Astrodome in New Orleans with Dark Journey. And I got hurt and humiliated. My, my top fell off and um, in the middle, you know, and it was like a massive crowd. And, and just the whole thing was just like, you know, I, I was looking for a sign. It was like, uh, okay, just so, show me a sign when I should leave. And it was like, got ripped off, got humiliated, got hurt, time to get out. And uh, it, it coincided with my um, sister getting married up in DC. And so I went there and uh, and I was just like, that was it. You know, I, I, I really, I wanted to have a full experience. I didn't want to just put my, the whole point of doing it was not just put my toe in the water and, and then write about it to take to take something. I wanted to, you know. I wanted to be part of it. And um, I feel like I achieved that. But, uh, you know, I I also admire and, and respect the, the women who have done it for 20 and 30 years. I mean, they're just some, you know, veterans uh, who have really, you know, they really have put everything into it. And, and that's what they wanted to do with their lives. Um, but I think some of them are really paying the price with their health right now.
1: Thank you very, very much for this invite, Chris Lappin, for Broken But Glorious, me guesting with Stu's Wrestling Podcast, as you've seen, some clips, I could have picked hundreds of clips from the 111 episodes that I've done, but thank you very, very much. This is to showcase some of the talent, wrestlers, personalities that have been on my show, and once again, Chris Lappin, thank you very, very much for this invitation, and I've loved... Putting some clips up from the show, which has run out since 2019, over three years. It's crazy how fast time has gone, but I have loved every second of doing this show. And once again, thank you, thank you for this invitation, for allowing me to showcase for your listeners what Shoes Wrestling Podcast is all about.
3: Sports Social Podcast Network.